We're continuing our series on love. It's February. Uh, Pastor did a great job talking about how to love your neighbor last week, and we're going to continue on with love. You know, love is kind of one of those weird words that means a lot of different things. Uh, Love is complicated. A lot of times we would do anything for the person or the thing that we love. Um, Are you familiar with Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Right? I had a coworker that uh, recently had a baby in Colorado, and she posted this thing about, uh, it wasn't until I became a mother that I finally understood what was really going on. She said, the father's porridge was all nice and hot, the baby's porridge was just right, and the mother's porridge was cold. Now, you go figure, and the mothers understand, right? Like, you would do anything. You would even eat the burnt toast. Your kid's not going to do it. Your husband's not going to eat it, right? Maybe. <laughs> Brittany's just going to throw it away and make new toast. Charity's going to eat the burnt toast because she doesn't like to waste bread. No offense. I'm sure you don't either. Uh, we do weird things for the people that we love. I know a person in our church that will wake up at 5 a.m. to take her dog to Raleigh for an appointment at 8 a.m. because there's a specialized doggy dermatologist that will give her expensive shots so that the dog's dry skin can be not so dry for about a month or or less. That's true love, all right? Sometimes we just love. Jesus talked a lot about love. In fact, God is love. Let's see what Jesus said. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to read starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, they were trying to trap him, trying to like, get him to misspeak or say something where they could like say, Ha! You said this! But here's what Jesus had to say. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's just open in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak directly to us. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is anointed. I pray that you would speak to us now. God, I invite you and I ask you that you would use my words, that as I speak, I would be inspiring, equipping, encouraging, and and everything that you want it to be, Lord. But I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak directly to each person here today, that you'd bypass whatever it is I say, that you would communicate to our hearts what it is that you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I read this verse, I, I get a little bit technical, and I think, what does it specifically mean to love God with all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength? You might read the verse and just think, okay, I just want to love God with everything I have. And I think that's really the purest intent, but I can't get by with just that. I want to think, what does it mean to love God with each part, and how are they different than each other? So today, I've just got a simple four-part sermon. We're going to talk about each part, starting with your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So what is your heart? Your heart is your desires, your passions. This is to be faithful and devoted to God. Loving God with your desires. Now, some of you in here might think that is just second nature. Um, I just naturally wake up in the morning and I just, ah, my heart just like explodes with love for God. Okay? And then there are other people that, like me, uh, some of the desires that we have in our hearts um, don't really please God. Okay? So what do we do if part of our heart doesn't desire God. Let me ask, what is uh, your heart desiring? And then a follow-up is, what can we do with that desire? All right? So person to person, we want our hearts to align with God. We want our love to be all for Him, right? Like, that's the desire of our heart, I hope. Um, But that's not always the reality. All right? So let me tell you a little bit. Um, Sometimes... We might have shame because there is a desire in our heart that doesn't please God. Maybe it's jealousy, all right, because you want something that you can't afford. Somebody else has it. The Bible calls that coveting, sort of, and that's, that's a sin. 
but it's like, oh, man, I really want that so bad. I really want that thing. Um, or, or, or maybe it's um, you, you want to, um, when I say rage, that's not really a desire. The desire would be to hurt somebody potentially, but that's, that's too strong for, for this moment. But, like, let's use rage. You have these things, and because you know and I know that that doesn't align with God's will, sometimes we try to ignore or suppress that desire, okay? But what happens when you have this desire and you try to squish it, sometimes it sneaks out in an unhealthy way. You might find yourself engaging in behaviors, actions, thoughts, or other things that you're like, wow, that's uncharacteristic of a Christian, and that's not the kind of person that I want to be, and I don't know why I'm doing that. But here's what we can do instead. Instead of like trying to suppress the desire because we are ashamed of it, I think the healthiest thing that we can do, even if it's an impure desire, an unholy, evil desire, all right, you can take that. And what I like to do is I like to acknowledge it right then and there. So I struggle with rage sometimes. Charity thinks that's unrelatable and nobody else struggles with that. Um, That's not what you said. That's how I felt when you said it, though. (laughs) She was in first service. She's like, use other examples like jealousy, Um, whatever, rage. All right, so I take my rage. Maybe you're driving in the car and then somebody cuts you off and they're just, their car is nicer than yours. And it's just like, what are you doing? Anyway, that's jealousy too. Okay, so I have rage and jealousy. Cool. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. I mean, charity. Um, I like to take those evil desires when I recognize them, or it could be lust, it could be greed, it could be a lot of things, anything really that's unpleasing to God. I like to actually put it in my hands. Usually I only do this when I'm alone. And then I, I say, God, I'm just giving this rage to you right now. Take a deep breath, and I kind of like lift it up to God, and I just sort of give it to him. And that actually helps me a lot. I think the healthiest thing that we can do is give our desires to God. Let me read. Christ will never reject you because of your desires. All right? He already knows what you're thinking, so we don't have to be ashamed of what's going on inside of our hearts. But what we can do is be honest enough with him to give them over to him. Our hearts, the desires, seek to be satisfied. Truly, ultimately, and only through Jesus Christ, I believe, is the only way that those heart desires can be satisfied. However, there are three, if you want to write these down, three false satisfaction. Three categories of false satisfaction. Sometimes our hearts seek, and there are probably more than this, but sometimes our hearts seek to be satisfied through achievement, possessions, and people's opinions. Because we're human, it's natural for us to want to find satisfaction, to find value, worth, or other things, even love, through achievement, possessions, and other people's opinions. Henry Nouwen said this, you are not what you do, your achievements, what you have, your possessions, or what people say about you, the opinions or affirmations of others. The most true thing is that you are a beloved son or daughter. That is what I want you to know today. If you don't catch anything else, I know this message is supposed to be about you loving God and loving others. But if you don't hear anything else today, and it's all important, I think this is the most important thing. You are loved by God. You are a beloved child of God. All right? Amen? You are not your achievements. Sometimes I want to be proud of something that I did as if I did it in my own strength and say, oh, wow, I'm more valuable because I just accomplished something great. But that doesn't give more value to me. I will never be any more loved by God than I am right now. It doesn't matter what great thing I do or on the other side, if it's a huge failure, God doesn't love me any less. We are not our possessions, or, or even this, lack of possessions. You might think like I do, man, I've already mentioned the car thing, but yeah, your car starts every time you try, so that's cool. How's that feel, OJ? You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, my car starts 
to 95% of the time. 99%? What? Not this, it didn't start this morning? Oh, man. I got a 2008 Nissan Rogue. Runs great if anybody wants it. Starts nine, 89% of the time. And they can't fix it. It sat in the shop for a week, and the guy could not get it fixed. And I might think that I'm less valuable because my car is less valuable than yours. But listen, that doesn't make me any less valuable. The truest thing about me is that I am a beloved child of God. And possessions, I am not my possessions. My possessions cannot give or take away value from me. Amen? Preaching to myself here today. There's a lot of nice cars in that parking lot. Um, but I'm not jealous. I'm happy for you. Um, and we are not on the opinions and affirmations of other people. This sermon might bomb here today. And y'all walk out thinking, wow, I can't believe he said all that. Um, but that doesn't make me any less valuable. Might do a great job today. But that doesn't make me any more valuable. The truest thing about me is that I'm a beloved child of God, and he loves me with an infinite amount of love, and nothing can take that away, and nothing can change that. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. That means that while we were enemies of God, he still loved us enough to give us his only son. Isn't that powerful? So if you're struggling with your desire today, I want to just challenge you. Understand the love that God has for you. Because 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. If you think, I want to love God, well, first of all, I think you can get to know God, and then you will love him. You'll see the love that he has for you and begin to reciprocate that love. But even if you're sitting here and you're a little bit unsatisfied with your desires right now, but you, you tell, you're telling me, you know, I wish I had a desire for God. That's its own desire that God is really excited about. And I think you should be excited about it too. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? Even if you're like, man, my desire level is not where I want it to be, but I want it to be higher. Wanting to want more of God is still desire. Congratulations, you did it. All right? That's the step in moving in the right direction to loving God with all your heart. Um, Let's talk about how we can love God with our whole soul. Um, these intricate parts are kind of hard to explain, so let me try to define what a soul is. A couple different definitions out there, but I believe the, the soul is the core of who you are. It is the real you, all right? And then when your soul is saved, or when you become a Christian, become a follower of Christ— that also includes meaning that your identity is completely one with that of Christ. So now you know who you are. The real you is someone who is firmly grounded in Christ and what the Word of God says that you are. The soul is the longings. It's the emotions. It's the convictions. Um, you can ask, how is it with my soul right now? Kind of check in with your soul. Uh, my mom, uh, who's not here, she quoted this last week, Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And you're familiar with the psalm, probably because of the song that uh, we used to sing a long time ago. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. So that's the place that I want us to be, where we love God with our whole soul. This definition might make it a little clearer what I'm trying to get at. And to give some credit, I was at a retreat about a week ago um, with Every Home for Christ uh, staff members in Colorado Springs, and that's where I got some of these quotes that I'm sharing today. Um, Ruth Haley Barton said, When I refer to soul, I'm not talking about some ill-defined, soft-around-the-edges sort of thing. I'm talking about the part of you that is most real, the very essence of you that God knew before he brought you forth in physical form, let's say your body, the part that will exist after your body goes into the ground. This is the you that exists beyond any role you play, any job you perform, any relationship that seems to define you, or any success you might have achieved. That's the kind of soul that we're talking about. You are not your relationship status, 
your bank statement status or anything else. The soul that wants to long for God is this soul before God. Before I am a pastor or a husband, a father, a friend, an employee, or a citizen, I am a soul before God. And the same can be said for you. Before you are wealthy or poor, before your nationality, the degrees that you have or the accomplishments that you've made, you are a soul before God. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That verse reminds us that, yes, success is its own thing. Um, Achievements and accomplishments are their own thing. But it's nothing compared to your soul. That's the most important thing. So when I'm talking about our personalities and these character traits that are attributed to our souls, even our emotions and things, let me give you two examples. Um, Going back to anger, uh, since I can relate. So if you are not a Christian and you're struggling a lot with anger... Um, that's sort of part of your soul. It's part of who you are. You might say, yeah, yeah, that's this. I'm like a really angry guy. Uh, and then you find Christ. Your soul becomes made new. Your soul is saved. And then does everything about your personality change? No, it doesn't. You might still be angry, but you have self-control now. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So you're taking that emotion and you're making it submit to God and saying, I'm going to walk in self-control. Or you might be angry when you see injustice in the world. You just might be that fiery, tempered sort of person, but you can channel that in the right way. When you see somebody that's hurting and they shouldn't be, when you see a need and you're like, wow, that fires me up. We need to fix that thing. You can use your things, uh, your emotions, your soul to honor God. Or, for instance, you might be really funny. Maybe you were really funny before you became a Christian. And now you're a Christian, you're loving God, your soul is saved. You can still be funny, but just not mean and rude, you know? It's funny to, like, make fun of people, right? Until you realize that it's, like, rude and insulting and not really something Christ would do. But you can still be funny, and it's just sanctified. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Your your soul doesn't completely change when you become a follower of Christ, but it should still have the Christ-like character and the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So let's talk what it looked like to honor God or to love God with your whole mind. So your mind is pretty obvious. This is um, not just feelings or emotions, but this is uh, intellect, ideas, decisions that you make, wisdom, all of that sort of thing. So when we want to love God with our whole mind, You can know God. You can meditate on God's word. You can hide God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. Um, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. That's how we can love God with our whole mind, by dwelling on the things that he wants us to dwell on. You might even say, I want to love God with my whole mind, and I just don't really know how. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you watching? What are you listening to? How are you entertaining yourself? If those things are doing the opposite of drawing you closer to God, then let me challenge you to reevaluate Entertainment's entertainment. It's good, but it affects our whole bodies. It affects our minds. It affects our heart. And so you might think, man, my mind is just drifting in ways that are impure, unholy, evil. And again, it could be rage. It could be whatever, um, jealousy, greed, or lust, or whatever. And then you, you examine, all right, well, this is, this is what I watched last week. And these negative attributes popped up and appeared in all of those things. Well, just ask the Holy Spirit uh, to guide you into what you should entertain yourself with or how you should spend your time or even conversations uh, with people. There might be people in your life that you say, I need to sort of distance myself from them because they're impacting me uh, more than I am impacting them, and it's not good for my mind. It's giving me anxiety. It's giving me fear. But you can also use your mind. um, uh, The Bible says set your mind on things above. And, and to take every thought captive. Here's one way to take every thought captive. If something pops in your mind that's impure, take it captive and say, that's not welcome here. God didn't put that thought here. I'm going to move that out. Here's another way 
to take thoughts captive. God gives you a good idea, take it captive. Write it down. Don't let it slip away. Capture that good idea and then use that idea for God. It's not just a negative thing. It can also be a positive thing. Here's one way uh, that a woman captured a good idea. She took a thought captive and she used it for the glory of God. It was probably the 1960s. It might have been the 1950s. Um, and there was a pastor and his wife raising six kids in the southwest part of the United States. These uh, pastors were very poor. Some people from their church were farmers. They couldn't even afford to like, they didn't even like get a paycheck. You know what I mean? Because it was like back then they would just, they would bring their fruits and vegetables to the pastor and say, here's 10%. That's my tithe. Um, please don't do that uh, <laughs> here. I mean, like a little tomatoes now and then is good. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just saying that's like might have worked for them, but these guys were so broke. Um, they they the pastors they're raising six kids. They loved God. The pastor's wife would only have three to four dresses in her closet, but she wouldn't hesitate if somebody in her church community needed one. She would give what she had. I'm talking about broke, poor, as you can imagine. Maybe compared to some people, not, but. Living, living are pretty broke. So they, as they did tithe, they did give uh, to missions because that was something that God put on their heart. They wanted to see people overseas come to know the Lord, and they knew that they could give financially to make that happen. Uh, the son who was writing this story was talking about when they looked back over some bank records, they realized, uh, he realized that his parents at most in their career only made $138 a week. And if that wasn't crazy enough, as they were looking over bank statements, they realized that on many occasions, they would write a check to the church or to other missionaries for the amount of $100 a week. That's some sacrifice. But still, that wasn't enough for this pastor's wife. She said, I want to do more. And because we have so little... I, God gave her an idea that she took captive. She said, do you remember doilies? The little knitted sort of things, crocheted things uh, that you would put on your tables and whatnot to decorate, you might put a lamp on it or whatever. Well, this pastor's wife decided she was going to crochet doilies and sell them. And she gave that um, amount of money to missions from the prophet. Isn't that cool? You know, I look at that in the natural, as you might, and it's kind of, I don't want to use this word again, but I will, because I just can't think of a better word, pathetic, like in the natural. I don't know what a doily would run for in the 1960s. <laughs> I don't know how many you'd have to make and how many hours you'd have to spend crocheting doilies to really make any impact on missions around the world. And pathetic is not the right word. Beautiful is a better word, like sweet. I don't know what the right word is, but her, you, you can see her heart. She's like the widow with two mites that said, I'm going to give everything I have. It made such an impact on her children that she had six kids, and they all, except for one, all went into full-time ministry. They became pastors themselves because they realized it's more about what you do with your life and uh, and that's how they wanted to spend their life as well, that God put a calling on their hearts. But the one that didn't go into full-time ministry was called to be a merchant, to buy things and sell things. He started a store called Hobby Lobby, and today they gross $8 billion a year. And because of the mother's and the father's example, Hobby Lobby gives away half of their profit to missions around the world. Money that was raised by selling doilies and other arts and crafts is going to make sure that the gospel is being preached to the entire world. Amen? Isn't that good? So don't underestimate loving God with your whole mind. You know, this guy could say, well, I'm not a pastor, so I can't make as big of a contribution as this person. Uh -uh. Because he's loving God with what God has given to him, he's able to make the size of contribution that 
God wants him to make. And we can all do the same thing. You can love God with your mind as well. Whatever idea you have. Maybe it's when you're at work. Maybe it's when you're um, doing something that's just for fun, but you realize, wow, you know, I can love God in this way. I can bring other people to know Christ in, in, in a different way that we haven't even thought of before. So I want to challenge you to love God with your whole mind. And let's go to the last one. Loving God with all of your strength. Making something is one way to say, I love you. That was a theologian, Daniel Tiger. Um, <laughs> if you know, you know. Daniel Tiger's a cartoon. Uh, he's the same guy that said, uh, if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. All right. Uh, <laughs> so Judah may have been watching Daniel Tiger while I created this sermon <laughs> in the other room just typing away. He, Daniel said, making something is one way to say, I love you. There are a lot of ways to say, I love you. It's not just from your heart, but it can also be from your strength, which begs the question, what do you do for God? Now, the Bible is written in a very intentional way, and I think even the order of these uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength is probably important. Now, should we love God more so with our heart and less so with our strength, just because strength comes in last on this list? I don't think so, but maybe it's in, in the right order. Because listen, uh, if you love God with your whole strength, but not with your heart, you might be at risk of what the Pharisees were when they were trying to do things for God to prove that they were something, but yet their hearts were far from God. God looks at the heart before he looks at the actions. But the same can be said about if you love God with your whole heart, but you're not doing anything for God, James says that faith without works is dead. It's really important to make sure that we're loving God with all of each part. There is an Every Home for Christ employee in a nation uh, that is to be, you know, unnamed. It's underground, EHC underground, all right? Sounds like a sweet club. Saturday night, you going to underground? Um, <laughs> I don't go to clubs, so I don't know if that's what people say. But um, <laughs> here's what he said. He said that if you only pray without outreach, you're just lazy. But if you only do outreach without praying, well, then you're just prideful. And I thought, oh, man, that hurts. You know, it's important to do both, to recognize that we need to put our feet to our prayers, but we also can't do the work that God's called us to do without his power and his strength. And oftentimes that comes through prayer. So strength, this is your energy, your effort, holding to the faith even when physically exhausted, to even endure pain when necessary uh, because we love God. I think of those that in the persecuted church, like the gentleman I just mentioned, who deals with persecution on a regular basis, or, or even just loving God to the point that your muscles hurt sometimes or because you're tired. Maybe you wake up early to spend time with God. That's loving him with your whole strength. Ask the worship team after church is over if they're tired. They're probably going to say yes. Why? Because they were loving God with their strength. Even when you go to work, your job may not be ministry related. You might not have a Bible on your desk, but you're tired at the end of the day. And because you give to God through your tithes and offerings, the time you're spending at work is time that you are loving God with your strength. That's just sort of how that works. So we can love God with our strength as well. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I want to uh, kind of give you one more story about someone who loved God with his whole strength. You're probably familiar with the football player Tim Tebow. As I would say, one of the greatest football players ever. But Drew would definitely disagree because he's not as big of a fan of Tim Tebow. I don't really know a whole lot about football. Uh, Pastor Mark, my dad, he could probably just tell you all the reasons why Tim Tebow is not the greatest, but I think he's the greatest. Um, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. But let me tell you why I like him so much. Because, uh, and he's not the only Christian football player. I don't. He doesn't even play football. He, he's making movies. He's doing other things. Writing books. 
on podcasts. Uh, but when he was in college, um, he put on the little black strips that go under the football player's eyes. I guess it helps them to see with the bright lights and whatever. Um, he put uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wanted to be strong, and he wanted to win the game, and he knew he needed God's help to do that. So that's admirable, right? That's a, that's a good story right then and there. You could stop. But when it came time for the championship game, he decided he was going to change the scripture under his eyes. And instead of the Philippians 4.13, he said, uh, John 3.16. And he went into the game, outperformed everybody, did a great job. And the cool thing about that is, you know, because he was a quarterback, he got a lot of screen time. So, you know, John 3.16 was on the screen every time they would have a close-up of Tim Tebow's face. So by the end of the game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. Isn't that neat? Just to think how God used one man's strength. Tim said, I want to, his first name now, just <laughs> Tim, first name basis. Tim, if you're watching... Thanks, sir. <laughs> Sorry. Mr. Tebow. I feel like Tim is just too casual. Um, but this football player, he said, I'm going to love God with all of my strength. And millions of people took a next step into saying, what is that John 3, 16? I've heard it before, but I don't know what it actually says. I could stop right there. But let me tell you the second part of the story. That happened on January 8th, 2009. But on January 8th, 2012... Tim Tebow was uh, playing his first playoffs game for the Broncos. He had a great game, and his PR guy comes up to him afterwards, and he says, do you know what just happened? And he said, I don't exactly, I mean, we won, uh, we did great. I, I don't know, what, what do you mean? What? He said, it was three years ago to the date today when you put John 3.16 on the black things under your eye. He probably knew what they were called. But, um, and uh, Tim was like, okay, cool, cool story. He, he said, but, but, but did, you, did you realize, like, what happened today? And he was like, you'll have to tell me because I really don't know what happened. And his PR guy said, the Internet is crazy. Everybody is searching for this. They are trying to figure out, like, did you do this on purpose? He threw for 316 yards. The average yards per carry was 31.6. The Broncos had a time of possession of 31 minutes and 6 seconds. And there were other 316 stats that went along the way. And to make it even better, after the game, when people realized this was happening, 90 million people, again, Googled John 316. Isn't that incredible? This is what it looks like. When somebody says, I'm going to love God with my whole strength. It's just a kind of a cool story. But that's to say that if you are a football player, and you might be a you know, middle school football player, or you might do something else with athletes or whatever, maybe you're a coach or whatever, you can still do that for the glory of God. They might not seem like they're connected, but when you do everything, it says whatever you do, that could be baseball, football, do everything to the glory of God. Tim went on to start foundations where he helps people with special needs. Um, he also helps, uh, he's helping to end human trafficking with his wife. He has done movies and books and all kinds of stuff. He's just saying, I want to take the money that God has given me now, and I want to make sure that people uh, find Christ. You can do the same thing with your strength. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, if, if God has called you to do it, do it with your whole heart, with all your strength, for the glory of God. I don't know really what that looks like for everybody's uh, personal situation, but I hope that you're excited to do what you do and, and think about, ask God to show you, how can I use this situation uh, so that you can be glorified, Lord? That's what it could look like to love God with your whole strength. But the next verse says, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And last week, Pastor talked about how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. So if you missed that, I'm going to encourage you to go back and watch it online. I'm not going to preach it again. Uh, it was compelling to the point that we should love people even if they're different than us. 
if they're, if they're similar to us. But I want to ask you this. Are there boundaries or limitations on things that you wouldn't say about someone else, especially to their face? Like you probably wouldn't tell your neighbor that you hate them, right? You probably wouldn't tell anybody, maybe you would, but you probably wouldn't tell most people, oh, you don't deserve that. You're not good enough. You'd be better off dead. That's harsh. You wouldn't say that to somebody. So why would you say that to yourself? If Jesus asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves, it implies that we should love ourselves. Now maybe Jesus, when he said this, was thinking, you obviously love yourself. Now, take, you know, love your neighbor. You take care of yourself every day. You make sure that you have food. You make sure that you have water. You love yourself enough to do that. Now, love your neighbor. Make sure that they have food. Make sure they have water. You can give to Convoy of Hope. You can help with the disaster relief. You would, you would do that for yourself. Let's do it for somebody else. But I want to also just flip it. Sometimes we treat our neighbor with more dignity and more respect than we treat ourselves. You are worthy of love and respect and dignity and care as much as anybody else is. And you might value that person so much that you think so highly of them. I want you to think highly of yourself too because God sees as much value in you as you see in anyone else. And I think this place of loving ourselves, I don't want to be the pastor that gets up on stage and just be like, you need to love yourself. Like, that seems a little bit weird. But I think it's biblical that we should not walk around hating ourselves, disappointed with ourselves, ashamed of ourselves, embarrassed of who we are. I think if you have any of that, cup it in your hands, give it to God and say, God, I'm being honest with you right now. I, I'm not where I want to be, and I'm just going to ask you to help, help me with that. Could you stand with me this afternoon? Matthew 5, 5 says, you are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are so valuable and loved by God. Let that be sort of the core of what happens. And from there, we can understand that we can love God. And from loving God, we understand we can love his creation, other people around us. Paul prayed this in Ephesians 3.17, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Not ambition, not anything else, not hard work but love. That's where we should be rooted and grounded. And even just to think, if you can put uh, Matthew 22:40 up there, it says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Meaning that to love God and to love people, if you do that, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. Hey, we, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. There's not just 10, by the way. There's actually others. But which one's the best one? And Jesus said, hey, I already know the answer. Love God and love people. When you look at the Ten Commandments, it says there's no other gods. Don't have any idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. If we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're naturally going to keep those commandments of loving God. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to honor our father and mother. These are the other commandments. We're not going to kill, commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. I mean, obviously, we all sin. That's where the cross comes in. That's where forgiveness comes in. But if we love God and we love others, then all the commandments are going to fall into place. And we don't have to worry about the rest. So as this uh, song plays, as you guys um, worship during this next song, think about the words about giving God our whole heart. I want to challenge you in those four different areas. Five, if you include loving your neighbor. But is there a desire that you want to surrender to God today? From your soul, are you creating value in yourself based off of your achievements, your possessions, or what others say about you? Could you say, God, I need to find my value in who you say I am? From your mind, 
Is there an idea that you need to uh, capture, either negatively to put it out or positively to, to, to bring it in? And with your strength, ask, ask God, is there some way, tangible, physical, practical way, that I can show you, God, that I love you this week? What can I do for you? Uh, think about those things as we sing this song, and Charity is going to come and close at the end.
again, it is so true that God loves us just the way we are. And I felt that God was just impressing on my heart that one of the reasons we're going through this series on love, yes, because it's February, but because that is his heartbeat and he wants us to know that, that he loves us, that he created you, special individual you that's like nobody else in the world. He created your soul and he didn't just create you and leave you at that. Psalm 139 says that he is familiar with all of your ways. He sees when you sit and when you rise. He knows when you come and when you go and he's inviting us into a relationship of love and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angel or demon, no height or anything can separate you from the love of God. And I believe he wants us to know that and that if there's anything, any lie or anything that has um, blinded us to that love that we're not walking in a realization of it. I just wanna pray over that today because it's really hard to show love if you don't feel love. So we're talking about loving God with our whole being. And I believe that begins with experiencing and knowing the love of God. And so let's pray today. Lord, we thank you so much for this service, for this series, for just taking us through just your love that you don't want us to miss it, that you are here, that you are so close, that you love us with an everlasting, unfailing, perfect love, not for who we are or for what we can bring, God, but you loved us while we were sinners, that you seek and save the lost. That is your heartbeat. You are love. I pray that we would realize that in a new way, that you would open our eyes, draw our hearts, speak to us so that we can hear you and walk with you. And as we do, I pray that you would just show us ways that we can love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we wouldn't be complacent, Lord, but that we would seek you with all that we are and all that you've made us to be through our love for you and others that the world would know that we're your disciples and that they would come to find you too. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Be with everyone, bless them, and in the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all have a great week. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.